Welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hello and welcome to season two of the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. I'm Tony Bromley uh, and in season two we are speaking to people who presented at the Research Education Development Scholarship Conference in 2022. The conference itself um, was had a theme, how do we stop losing talent in research careers? And today we're particularly talking uh, with one of the presenters um, from the presentation which had the title academic unbelonging and the neoliberal university a comparative institutional case study of doctoral researchers experiences at two english universities and we're delighted to have with me today jurira nasim who is from the university of birmingham so hello to you hi tony hi um and there's actually you, you're one of uh, a number of people so I did, I did wonder if you just wanted to say who the group were and how you came together so there's there's about half a dozen yeah half a dozen presenters so uh yeah do you want to introduce your group who you're speaking on behalf of yes so um we have uh one main lead uh who is dr lydia lewis from the university of wolverhampton and I am the lead for the University of Birmingham. Uh, with us, we have uh, four other colleagues, uh, Amy Wells from the National Survivors User Network, uh, Dr. Anna Lewis from the University of Birmingham, uh, Deba Khan, who is a uh, PTR actually at the University of Wolverhampton, and Dr. Gurpin Dalali, who is also with the University of Wolverhampton. Thank you. And I just wondered what the drivers are, because that's quite a group, it's quite a diverse group, so it's been, it, I think it's well put well put together. Um, so what what made this group come to, together? What were the driving forces? I I think I I came into the group uh, thanks to Group in there because we've been working on the site uh, together and um, he just came to me saying, you know, one of my colleagues, so Lydia, is putting together a proposal for work on um, students in higher education and uh, especially postgraduate students, PhD students. And I was thinking, oh, okay, that's interesting because often when you look at research, uh, you'll see that a lot of the research around experiences of belonging, inclusion, exclusion is focused on undergraduate students. So this was very new to me. And I was thinking, well, th there isn't much out there. And are you sure you want to do that? And I said, well, that's the whole point <laughs> because there isn't much out there. So we want to go in and have a look at what's happening with those students, especially. So this is how I came along because I um, work a lot around university students, their transition into employment and especially feelings of belonging, non-belonging while at university. So I think that's how I came about into, into the group. And then um, uh, Lida put together the other other colleagues as well. Uh, Amy Wells, for example, she is with the National Survivors User Group, and uh, it was very important to have her on board because, um, as you can imagine, we're talking about your experiences while at university, and PhD journeys are very lonely. Mm -hmm. So having somebody like Amy on board was very important to provide the support when and where needed when engaging with those students. So definitely, I think that the team balanced out really well in terms of having representation from both universities 
external to the university and also in terms of what we bring to the table in terms and of you had a, a postgraduate researcher as well as part of the group so Teba Khan is is our postgraduate researcher and she is at the University of Alberta I guess everyone on the team actually um, was a postgraduate researcher at some point in time uh, so I think we bring our own experiences to the table as well um, but yeah so Teba is actually currently doing her her PhD with and, and Lydia is her uh, primary supervisor yeah excellent um so that's how the group came together and you've got really good representation in terms of the study that you went on to do so i just wonder if you give us an overview of what you actually did how did you carry out the work how did you get participants involved so what, what did you do so i think the first part was the longest and most difficult part because that was the time where we came together, we didn't know what was happening with the proposal, but we started to work on it a little bit. Um, and then when we knew that um, we had the funding, we had a big gap between when the funding kicked in and uh, when we actually started working. So it was a case of coming together, doing a lot of uh, research work in terms of reading the literature, making sure we are aware of the current issues around um, students' experiences in higher education, and especially looking at those intersectional experiences. So we talk about university students, but we have international students, we have minority ethnic students, we have white students, international students who are also qualified as minority ethnic students, we have female students, male students, so all of that, you know, it was important for us to get our head around what we know to date and then move it uh, from there. Um, and this is where literature searches was was very important at the start. Um, so that was the first stage. And then um, the next step was to actually get people to come and speak to us. So the focus group was the next step. And um, it was uh, in a way a bit easier to get participants um, to work with us because um, we were looking at participants in our own universities. So we had that, you know, insider knowledge of who to contact, you know, how to spread the word, how to, um, get people to to uh, come for the information so it was a bit easier uh, in that sense um so we just emailed um different um departments uh, different um colleagues that we know are in touch with pgrs and then i was a case of you know sharing the information and whether you're happy to move on and i think with that the the most difficult part was to organize those focus groups because imagine having 29 people and you're trying to find slots to interview them and a focus group. So that yeah, was yeah. a bit manic um, in terms of getting them together. Now, and just looking at the period of time when you did this, it was through the COVID period. So were these focus groups online focus groups? They were, they were yeah. online. Um, at the time when we started, there was an option to actually have um, indoor, you know, focus groups because at the time the regulations uh, were actually relaxed. So we could have done that, but we realized that actually most of our PGRs, they actually travel in, they don't necessarily are local. And therefore it was easier for us to do them online because then, you know, everyone could be available uh, when it suited them. So the traveling in produced an additional barrier for participants, you know, oh, I have to make the effort to go somewhere. So it was a bit easier. And we had international students who were not in the country as well. So you know, having it online just made it easier to even reach out to those. So I think, yeah, you could say that the one thing out of COVID is the ability to do things online that we normally would not do it online. So I think that was very useful for us to have that uh, online option for, for our participants. So all our groups actually were online. 
See, and, and also, I think a lot of us are finding you, you can get better representation if uh, it doesn't have to be on a physical campus. International people can contribute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we had, you know, participants who are part time students, meaning that they're also working. And so yeah. they could, you know, accommodate us um, within their busy time schedule because we were able to do it, you know, after work with a half an hour break and they don't have to come in um, having that extra time for them. So I think that definitely was easy for us to, to organize it and, and uh, easier for participants to actually just, you know, come forward and say, yes, I'm happy to participate, definitely. Yeah. Was it okay in terms of disclosure? I'm always um, concerned whether people feel able to speak more more readily or less readily, perhaps when they're in the online environment. Were, were they comfortable to speak on sometimes sensitive topics? Obviously, I think the the legwork was around you know raising awareness of the issues that we are going to address. So there was no surprise per se for the participants. We shared with them um, a list of questions, topics that we were interested in. We asked them to do some pre-focus group work such as you know do you have any picture ready that you would like to share with us that could represent your experience of going through your PhD journey so a lot of that enable us to you know break the ice before the yeah. session and of course you know we made sure that you know participants are remained anonymous and we ensure confidentiality throughout yeah. um, even with the output so uh, that was very important and, and you know that's something that you wouldn't be able to do without having all the ethical approvals so I think covering those grounds and you know sharing the information with participants make them you know feel more relaxed about how their information is going to be shared what are we going to do with their you know data in terms of what they're sharing with us so I think that was uh, that was that made things easier for participants definitely. Yeah. I was just wondering, I'm going to move on to the, the interesting bit in terms of what the themes that you that, that came out of it. But um, for those who uh, our listener who wants to know the data, um, how, how many people did you speak to? So 29 uh, participants on total, yeah. Excellent. So that's, that's a, a good number of participants. So what were the key themes coming out? Because we say in your title, it was a comparative study, but it is, it is about experiences. So what were the key themes coming out from the postgraduate researchers? So, so we were really focused on this notion of belonging. And I think what was very interesting is that we we actually realized that there were so many levels of belonging and non-belonging or unbelonging that participants were talking about. So even for somebody like me who focused a lot on the sense of belonging, so the idea that you have this feeling of being at home, being safe, being with other people that you may identify with so you have that common or shared histories or you know characteristics so you you are in a safe comfortable environment so that would be the sense of belonging and when we spoke to participants and obviously when we started the analysis we realized that many participants were actually uh, talking about this this one point there were different findings but I think the, the one that really you know for me speaks a, a lot is this idea of materialized belonging because you would think about belonging as something that it's intangible. You can't, you know, put your finger on it. It's, it's a feeling that you have. But participants were talking about something that's materialized. So this was very interesting. And essentially what they were saying is that you have this, you know, journey of, of a PhD postgraduate student and you have that space and a space where you can go to. So that was the material side of things. So where do I go if I want to conduct my research? When I go to university, where is my space? Where do I belong in that space? And we realized that actually not everyone has a space or even if you do have a space, it might not be the same. So there were some inequalities in terms of how that materialized belonging was experienced. 
for example, we had some participants who had scholarships and therefore they were fully integrated into the research culture of their university. And therefore that made it easier for them to participate, be involved. So they had an office to go to, they have their own space that they could call their own within the university. Whereas students who may not have had, you know, those opportunities of having a scholarship or funding to support them, there would be a common room where they could go to. There wouldn't be an allocated space that's just their own, you know, that they could say, well, this is mine. This is where I belong. This is my space. So the materialized of sense of belonging was about those little things that make a huge difference to a PhD's career, future career. So having that space, knowing what it means to be a research assistant, for example, um, things such as having opportunities to teach, that made yes. a huge difference because again, you, you become part of a culture. It's not just, because we often say postgraduate students, but they're not really students, are they? Because they are researchers and they, they're not yet there on the other side. So where do they belong even in terms of- It's a Venn, Venn diagram somewhere in there, isn't it? There we go. Yeah. So it's like really in the middle somewhere, it's a gray area. And so those little things made the difference for these students. So having an opportunity, for example, to teach, they start to belong to that academic culture. So you are a tutor, you're engaging with students, you're sharing, for example, your research through lectures or seminars. So. Even those opportunities were important to um, uh, some participants. And on the other side of the spectrum, so those who actually picked up on the fact that, you know, they do not have those opportunities. So they, they do not belong to the university because they don't have that material side of things. On the other side, you had participants who said, well, actually, I don't want to belong to all of that. So they, on purpose, wanted a feeling of unbelonging if that makes sense so they did not want to be part of any of that they did not want to have a space they did not want to have teaching opportunities because that's not what they were aspiring to do or mm. in some instance you know they actually did not want to be part of that neoliberal culture you know where you know you study because you want to get that job you want to get a higher paid salary or something that's really material at the end so they really were at the other end of the spectrum I'm getting this education, I'm getting and doing this research because I'm interested in it. And I don't need to belong to that you know, environment. Um, my belonging is where I work. And this is, for example, for students who were um, part-time students and therefore they had you know, full-time jobs. So their belonging community was not within higher education. They may well have had several belonging communities, perhaps. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And so this was very interesting to see how the participants, you know, really broke down the different sides of belonging. So, you know, macro level, mice level, and, you know, the, the higher level. So all of that helped us see that actually, when we think about belonging, there are so many elements to that. And that's not just, you know, a feeling of being part of something intangible. It's something more than that, actually. Well, I was just wondering, again, coming back to your title, where you say it was a com comparative between two universities. So what, you know, how did the two universities compare? Were there things that definitely one university was doing better and the other one could improve on or vice versa? Or actually, did the two universities not really come out? It didn't really matter. You know, what was the comparison between the two universities? I think because we have a very diverse cohort of students, it actually really pulled out the differences and similarities. For example, um, there were a lot more minority ethnic students in the um, post-92 university than the uh, pre-92 um, 
pre-92 universities. So that made a huge difference in terms of how students felt being part of that environment. And this is not just for postgraduate students, there's something known for even undergraduate students where they tend to be, they, they want to go to less white universities, more diverse universities. And the experience of belonging was uh, more positive in that post-92 university because students really felt that they actually are really recognized as individuals contributing to their research culture, contributing to the academic environment of their institutions compared to students who felt that, you know, you almost here, you give your money and then, you know, you just go out and finish your job by yourself. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's something that we need to be mindful of, you know, because, you know, do you rely on the reputation of your institution to, you know, just provide the minimal service or, you know, the minimal um, quality provision? And even though that's not the intent of the university, if it has been felt by the student, it means that something has gone wrong somewhere. Yeah. So I think um, that, that, go on. No, I was just going to say, I was just uh, thinking we, we have international listeners so i just want to quickly say what a post 92 and a pre 92 was because that's yeah, sure. you know, it's, um, a, it's a uk i mean do you want to explain it's a uk thing no, no, isn't it? so so the uh post 92 universities are those universities who had a polytechnic um status and after 1992 after legislation was passed they were formally known as universities so it increased drastically the number of universities that we had in the uk and those pre-92 universities are actually universities that have always been universities um your uh, very well reputed universities uh well known worldwide so i think that's the distinction uh between yeah. the pre and post and yeah to add to that, um, it is also known now that um, uh, pre-92 universities tend to be more white universities than post-92 universities. So if you think about the uh, characteristics of our participants in terms of their ethnic identification, uh, we had a big difference in terms of who was studying where. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic, and it's an interesting uh, thing in the UK. We often debate about the purposes of the the universities um, that we have. So I wanted to, I'm just uh, conscious of the time, I wanted to bring us bring us together a little bit. So in terms of what we said in the conversation, if what would you say that the really key things you'd like anybody who's listening to us to take away from your study? Is there one or two key points you'd want to highlight for, for people? Um, I, I think for postgraduate researchers, if they, if they are listening, um, you know, definitely, um, if there are any feelings such as, you know, I don't feel I belong, then, you know, it needs to be raised. You know, often what you would find is that people don't say anything. We had participants who were in the final year and they were saying to us, well, you know, I'm just here doing my work and I'm going, I'm not going to make, you know, lifelong uh, partnerships with anyone in terms of friendship or work relationship, because, you know, I was on my own throughout that time. So I think it's very important to raise awareness that, you know, if this is something that's happening, then you know it needs to be raised and often um in most cases you actually do have a personal tutor that's allocated to your um um uh, postgraduate researchers so something to be raised so for those students please do speak up and and you know share your experiences to say well something that's not something's not working now for those within higher education who are working with postgraduate research i think it's very important to understand those differences and come to realize that there are implications in terms of, you know, teaching and learning. How do you make sure that you are fully including everyone in your work? 
okay what is the relationship that you're building with your students is it just a student and supervisor and supervisee relationship or are you trying to work with the student to move them forward towards their transition you know maybe in academia or maybe outside so i think it's very important to understand that it's not just about you know what an individual is feeling on their own, but actually working together. So I think the collaboration is very important. The partnership needs to be more than just, you know, I'm here to do a piece of work and then I'm gone. I think it should be more than that. And I think if we are able to create that relationship, I think the experiences will be more different than what we have currently, definitely. Uh, do you know, it's been, it's been fascinating listening to you. One of the things that struck me is that I, had, I hadn't thought about in terms of belonging. I've made an incorrect assumption that everybody wants to have a strong belonging, but you actually talked about some people who don't want a strong belonging. So I need to, you know, it's been great for me to listen to you. I need to rethink my own thoughts on belonging. It is, it is absolutely because you know what you would imagine is that you know either you belong you don't belong if you belong you have had that acceptance you're included and if you don't belong it means that you have been excluded so it's been imposed on you you don't decide not to belong right yes. but this idea of consciously deciding not to belong so this unbelonging actually empowers you because then you decide what you want to do. You decide that actually you do not want to be part of that. And I think that's really empowering for students, you know, um, expressing themselves in that sense. And even for me, it was really interesting to hear that because you would assume, well, you want to be part of your university, right? You want to be, you know, part of that learning community. You want to build, you know, those connections that may, you know, help you support you in the future. But actually, no, some do not want to do that. And that's because of their unique artistics. These were mostly part-time students who actually were doing their um uh, who had work on the side and they did not need to have that so they were comfortable with belonging that absolutely. they were going from elsewhere yeah absolutely. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing absolutely so even you know that um that um, entry into your PhD journey, you know, it would make a difference if you are a mature student so that, you know, you have, you know, lifelong experience already under your belt compared to somebody who is transitioning from, you know, an MA and moving on. That would make a huge difference in terms of how you feel about your own positioning within that higher education environment, definitely. Excellent. I've got one very last question for you, and, and then we will finish. No, that's just, it's just the future question. So people uh, listen to us, they may well think, I want to find out more about this. Is there a website? Is there going to be a publication? Um, yes, uh, we, we do have a website. Um, I can share that with you, and so you can put it uh, with the with the podcast for yeah. Too. We'll... And we are now in the process of finalizing the information and putting together the final report, which will also be available to for um, anyone interested to download and then uh, find out more about the, the project uh, and the findings in general. That's excellent. So the website, if you think you want the website, it will be in, we'll put it in the notes for the podcast, which we're able to do. So please do, do look at the notes for this podcast. So thank you very much. It's been terrific to listen to you. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned a great deal about the belonging and unbelonging aspect. I need to reframe what I, my thinking is. So uh, thank you for doing the podcast for us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Email us at academicdev at leads.ac.uk. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.